This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am sitting here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. Today, we are going to be talking about the book from Herman Ponsner. It's called Burn, and uh, there's been some interesting thought processes related to this book, and so Susan and I are going to walk everyone through it. But first, let's start with introductions. So Susan, why don't you tell everyone who you are, where they can reach you, and all that stuff. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Um, I can be found at drskleiner.com, D-R-S-K-L-E-I-N-E-R.com. I, uh, that's where my business, High Performance Nutrition, lives online. I'm a sports nutritionist, but I want to work with anybody who wants to achieve peak performance. I always say from the locker room to the boardroom to the bedroom. So wherever you find yourself wanting to do better, uh, that's what I like to help people with their nutrition. Sure. And I'm Paul Nobles. I uh, am the founder of the Eat to Perform. And I am Susan's cohort for these podcasts. And we kind of talk about some basic ideas, but also some more advanced ideas. But if you're looking, so Susan and I kind of work on different levels, um, both with sort of the same idea in mind. But if you're looking for just a regular diet intervention type of thing, uh, certainly eat perform www.eatperform.com. And, you know, coach can walk you through what your plan would be like, and, and you can start with a free trial. You can start with a meal plan. There's just all these different options that are helpful for people. Okay. So I think the best place to start is kind of the emphasis of the book. And I think both you and I probably agree, it's not a phenomenal diet book, right? What it's really trying to explain and what I think is, is the thing that's really confusing people is why do I burn 5,000 calories on my wearable and I'm not losing any weight, right? <laughs> and so, and so, so that is addressed in the book and it is a really important piece. And I have to say, like, when I started Eat to Perform, if you asked me what was the one thing I absolutely believed, and it was that, right, that, that you could exercise your way into a deficit, right? Total 180 on my point of view, which is why I like this book. Right now, there's a lot of people that know a lot about me and, and my story. And, you know, the one big piece of my story that I've been really honest about the whole time, but people sort of forget is that I was working out up to three times a day sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that that's, you know, what I would recommend. In fact, right now, I would say it's sort of the opposite of what we recommend at each perform. But I was viewing myself as someone with a lot of will going into that situation. But I would wake up literally at five o'clock in the morning and do kind of a high heart rate circuit. Um, I don't know what just happened, but are you getting reverb in your ear? Okay. Because there was like some kind of, uh, it, it seemed to have fixed itself. But 
what I would do is I would go on like low impact machines, right? And do a lot of cardio at a really high heart rate, right? And so for 15 minutes, I would do kind of this elliptical thing, um, elliptical stair stepper thing. And then I would switch to like an elliptical just to sort of have like, so it wasn't so monotonous, right? And then um, I would do that for about an hour and a half at five o'clock in the morning. And then I would come back at about five o'clock in the evening and do like a stair stepper, you know, running, you know, these types of things. And what happened at the time, actually Herman talks about it in the book, is I started getting symptoms of overtraining, right? I would get colds, I would be sick a lot, you know, and what I was trying to do was eat the same, right? Which, you know, would have definitely been above 5,000 calories, right? Um, And kind of exercise my way into a better place. So I still stuck with like the same 5,000 calories thing on purpose, right? But I started to change the quality of food and, and that changed. And then in that time, there were definite periods of deficits, not, not, you know, um, kind of the super low numbers that, that people are focused on. In fact, the lowest that I ever ate in that period was towards the very end where I was trying to end, you know, at single digits, you know, for, for body fat percentage, right? I started at like 43% body fat and then ended at eight, you know, um, and totally not the way I would suggest anyone to do it now. Right. But this was, this was 13 years ago. And when I started at that point, you know, I had just been dieting for, for 10 years, you know, and, and really kind of getting nowhere, you know, just having these, these binge and bust cycles. Right. And so when, when Herman talks about, total daily energy expenditure being constrained. I get it. it makes sense to me. And I really think that it's something that people need to understand because there's way too many people kind of like I'm, I'm talking about an investment in up to five hours a day in exercise. Right. And then people often wonder why they're 15 minute CrossFit exercise. They're not getting kind of the same results. Right. And so, you know, there was just a level of exploration on my side that was just really different. And like I said, I've been honest about that the whole time, right? I've showed pictures. I've explained what those pictures represent, you know. But if you're like a lawyer and you're working long hours and you only get in, you know, 30 minutes a day, you know, I think this information is actually good for you. I think this is something that, you know, we see this a lot, you know, I don't know uh, if you've ever read any David Sedaris books, but like uh, one of the last books, he talked about his steps and he was talking about the fact that 10,000 steps was for rookies, you know, Um, and and he viewed it as a challenge and routinely would get 50,000 steps a day. Right. Because he would he lives in England and he he would go in the English countryside and just pick up trash all day, you Mm -hmm. know, and and so he would get like these massive amounts of steps. 
And the problem that you run into, and that's the problem that you saw with my physique, was that when you overdo things to that level, you get, I wish there was a better way to say it, I hate this term, but skinny fat, right? Where, where you're under-muscled, you know, and, you know, in the three pitcher, you see me starting above 250. There's the middle pitcher where I kind of have that skinny fat look at 162, and I was 21% body fat. And then there's the pitcher at 162 where I was 8% body fat. And between those two pitchers is really like six months, right? Because when you go from doing the wrong thing to absolutely doing the right thing, you get an extreme result, right? And so in that time where I really wasn't focusing on building muscle, and then I went to focusing on building muscle, muscle came like really, really fast. And so I think there's a lot about, about that that is really important for people. So that, that'll, that'll be kind of the foundation of this discussion, right? But I think what we're really talking about with this book, you know, I think both Susan and I have opinions on the book um, that aren't always positive, right? But, but I think that part of why am I not losing weight when my Apple Watch tells me I should be is why the, what makes this podcast interesting? Oh, yeah, I mean, so much to unpack. But I think the big thing that he drives home with great clarity for anyone who actually understands the concept from the beginning is that, number one, for most people, you know, I'm not talking about Olympic athletes or pro athletes, people who use their bodies to make money <laughs> all day long. Um, for the average person who exercises, that we underestimate the contribution of basal metabolic rate to our total energy demand every day. And that for 95% of us <laughs> or more, who are trying to manage our body weight, it is managing your basal metabolic rate and keeping that as high as it can be that actually is the greatest determinant of number one, your total health on a daily basis, but also your ability to ultimately lose weight. And so starting just with that concept that that is the greatest number of calories you are going to burn every day. And then that underlies a portion of the calories that are also being burned during exercise. And so while your, your gadget that is determining your calorie burn during exercise isn't giving you your personal burn, it is giving you a formula that has been estimated based on data you may have entered, or some people don't even enter data, it's even more generalized than that, about what your calorie burn is during exercise. That's the calories you're burning during exercise, plus the underlying metabolism that has to be going on for your foundational wellness all day long. And so if you drop the calories that you burn for your foundational wellness all day long, you can never catch up by just exercising. 
And that is the concept that he's talking about, about a constrained metabolism, meaning that when you underfuel your body, when you lower your calories, your body will, and your brain recognizes that, your body will respond not necessarily by burning fewer calories in your high energy output, which is your exercise, but in your daily calorie need from your basal metabolic rate all day long. So you get a really big hit in your calorie burn. And that's the concept of you can't exercise your way out of overweight if you are under fueling yourself dramatically while you're doing it. Well, and we see that, right? What we see is that um, people that have a lot of weight to lose, right? Um, they actually, you know, that they'll make progress in a deficit. And then one of the basic concepts of each reform is that we have periods where we allow your BMR to recover. And once that BMR is recovered, you can make more progress, right? But, but they can often lose weight, you know, now there's some interesting pieces to that because, you know, let's say that you're a 250 pound 5'2 female, right? And you haven't been particularly active, your body actually acts as a resistance tool, right? And so just that amount of weight on your body, once you start to get active and once you start moving around, now all of a sudden your body's going to put on muscle to kind of protect itself, right? And so what ends up happening for people is they start getting frustrated because they're not seeing major weight loss in that instance. A lot, a lot do, but, but it's, not, it's not to the extremes because, you know, let's be real, if you're 5'2", 250, you kind of want to get to normal as soon as possible. Meanwhile, pant size is decreasing. Um, you know, like I said, weight, maybe not as much, but, but overall body composition is, is much more favorable, right? And so these are things that you have to sort of think about as we're sort of talking about this, because at the end of the day, we're really having is a health discussion. One of the criticisms that I do have about the book and it's one of the criticisms in general that I have with a lot of these obesity type research books is that it's just assumed that everyone is overconsuming, right? As if, you know, a 5 to 250 pound woman has never dieted in their life. My experience is that those people have dieted much more than, than other folks, right? So, Speaking to BMR, you know, he mentioned two instances, the Minnesota starvation study, and he mentioned the, the biggest loser study, um, where they were measuring um, BMR in that process, right? And these long extended uh, dieting processes ultimately, you know, took a big toll on these folks metabolically. And in the case of the Biggest Loser study, they really weren't able to recover, you know, in, in, a, in a meaningful way. They did recover a little bit, but not, not to the way that, that it would have been previously. 
Um, in the Minnesota starvation studies, I think some of it was really more anecdotal, but they were able to recover, get back to managing their weight. Um, and, and so I think that, um, you know, I don't, this is actually one of the podcasts that we're going to do coming up here. Um, but can you speak to that a little bit? Because, you know, in both instances, the Minnesota starvation study and then the, the biggest loser study, the problem with both of those is you have kind of this constrained piece of time, right? Yet we know that women, as an example, start dieting very early, right? And so whether you're intuitively eating, you know, mostly chicken and kale, or you're actively eating lower calories, that's going to really affect your BMR, right? And so, so these studies are showing acutely, but what if you've been dieting since you were 15 years old and now you're 64, right? What would be the result of, of your BMR over that time? And I think this is the biggest mystery in dieting. So uh, exactly. Um, in, in all the clients that I have worked with, there seems to be uh, a, a very interesting pattern reflecting what you're talking about, Paul. So the, and, and I'm not working with, with obese people necessarily, but I am working with people who are looking and seeking a, a much leaner, lower physique for whether, or it's an objective measure through physique contests, or they need to be uh, at the lowest weight to power ratio they can be at because they're a, a road cyclist, a competitive road cyclist. And so we, what, what I see is that folks who have done this for a brief period of time, for instance, I'm going to give you a, a real world example, two real world examples right now. Right now, I am working with a young man. He's only 21 years old. He is um, going, he, his, his, his current uh, next thing that he's doing is testing to compete on American Ninja Warrior. So this is a sport where power to weight ratio is critically important, um, but you also need to really maintain strength. And so, uh, and the endurance of strength. He had eaten well pretty much his whole life, which was, has been a pretty short life so far. And then a year ago, wanted to lose weight. And so he dropped his intake well below what his needs were. He did drop weight and then he plateaued and wasn't getting anywhere and wasn't feeling like he was getting anywhere and contacted me. So only for a period of about six months was he pretty underfueled. And uh, the first thing we did was raise him not a huge amount it's 300 calories to see what is your what is your response going to be and within three days he contacted me and he said well first of all I slept better for the last three nights than I have for the last eight months and I felt better all day long I had greater clarity and now I'm really hungry and I'm eating more and so that's a great sign that his body's starting to rev back up again and so in a matter of three days, 
we started to see improvement. Now it's two weeks and we're already up another 300 calories. And he's not even near where he's ultimately going to be, but we're taking this in a stepwise progression so that we don't overshoot uh, because he doesn't have enough time to then manage anything, anything that we overshoot. And so he's returning to normal very quickly. On the other hand, I worked with a, 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 a world champion elite female road cyclist, uh, winner of many um, renowned races, distance races in the mountains all over Europe and all over the world. She was notorious for her low body weight and barely eating for probably 15 years. She, her body started to really break down. She had many physical issues and finally had to stop her sport, which is not surprising in female sports to have a, a short career. We worked together for, she had been trying to get her periods back for two years before she came to me. We worked for two years and they have still not returned. She has gained weight. She has done everything she could do. And she is, she, her body still has not um, found its center again. And so it will take, you know, even using um, sort of hormone replacement therapy, lots of in medical intervention. So, so this is in people who are low body weight, trying to get them back to normal. What I believe is that there are several factors. The body is this dynamic organism, which is what he talks about so very well, that we are not a static machine that goes as long as pedal to the metal until we run out of gas and we stop. The body will consistently adjust so that there is always an appropriate amount of fuel calories on board for survival. And so that means shutting down immune function, reproductive function, anything that it takes to, to just survive until the time comes when you can reproduce again. And so if you're not in reproduction, you don't need to eat either. You don't need to be very hungry. Ultimately, it's not just how little you eat, I believe. It's also the distribution of nutrients in your diet. So as you said, if you're someone who has restricted calories, but you've still eaten a variety of foods, maybe you have a little more protection than the person who really has narrowed down their diet to chicken and kale, right? And that's all they're eating. And, and, and they have um, really, you know, are, are at almost zero carbs, almost a, you know, such, their nutrient density is so low that they are in marginal or frank nutrient deficiency across the board, those, those do real lasting damage versus all you need are more calories to bring you back to center. But I do believe how early you start this, if you are prepubertal and you start this kind of deficit eating, that your body never quite finds its center. Your brain never is in, is in hormonal sync with the rest of your body, your peripheral metabolic pathways never are established at a healthy level. And then the longer you do this, the harder it is to reestablish. But to say that you're broken is absolutely um, 
the the antithesis of what your body is act what's happening what's happening is your body is functioning exactly as designed to survive so there was uh there was an mma guy that got uh got into a lot of trouble a few years ago named chael sonnen and what chael said and he was talking about lance armstrong and at that time lance armstrong was suing everybody and, and he was still going with the narrative that he was clean. And, um, you know, he, Chael was referring to cancer and Lance had a remission of the cancer, right? And he, he just kind of flippantly said, well, you know, when you're taking all the stuff he's taken, of course you're going to have problems like that, right? And everyone destroyed him because at that time, Lance Armstrong was like the, the person, right, that that everyone wanted to hold up as as this special hero. But what he was saying was, is that yes, you have a problem, and yes, you created it, right? Like no one created it outside of you. You know, um, yeah, you probably had this ge genetic predisposition, but all the things that you're doing aren't going to help your cancer diagnosis, right? And I think we see that with dieting a lot where um, people often have this thought process. Like one, one of the things that happens a lot with people that are over-consuming and that um, are overfat, right? Is that um, they think that they have a repressed metabolism. And the reality is, and we know scientifically that they don't, right? They, they actually... If you're feeding yourself or overfeeding yourself, your cells are working really hard, right? So you have 37 trillion cells within your body. Your metabolism is basically the equivalent of all the food that you're eating and making sure that those, those, uh, those calories are, are, are being used the way that you want them to be used. Um, and so, and then the, the other part is obviously the part where people are eating less. The one thing that, you know, I, I know we've come to an understanding with this, but I think a lot of people listening to what you said related to nutrient density, and I agree with variant, varied nutrient density and things of this nature. What I think happens for a lot of people that really focus on nutrient density is they end up under eating. Even with a variety of nutrient density, is they end up under eating and they never really know the specifics. So a lot of the times you'll see those people and they'll think that they're eating 2,500 calories as a female or 3,000 calories as a male. So we should, um, so, so I want to I quickly throw out three things, but I want to get to this piece of 2,500 for, for females, 3,000 for males, because I think that that's the most important part of this. Um, so incentives, regular folks don't have incentives the way that athletes have, right? Because they're paid millions of dollars. I think if we were all realistic about that, you know, when you're sitting there making that decision on date night, whether or not those two glasses of wine are worth it, they're going to always be worth it because you don't have the incentives to deprive yourself. And just the idea of being marginally more lean you know, it, it just takes too much and you're going to ultimately um, kind of, 
you know, I like to think of willpower almost as a glass of water, right? If you're constantly just drinking the water, you know, there's going to be no water left, right? And so if you're, if you're at the very end of a long diving cycle and things of this nature, um, it's just going to be hard to say no eventually. And what I think we see, and we'll talk more about this in a future podcast, is that that's when the rails come off, right? And that's why you see people actually gain weight with interest, just because it's just too frustrating going down and, and too hard going back up, getting back things to normal. Managing your body weight. So I've said this multiple times. I view my managing of my body weight in five weight, five month cycles, five year cycles, sorry. So what that means is I will manage my weight occasionally, right? So I use 200 as my ceiling. Um, I will manage my weight occasionally in that five-year period. So, you know, I'm, I'm closing in on 53 right now. Um, I've only done one kind of like mini cut to clean things up a little bit, but it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm just like with an iron grip trying to stay under 200, right? What it means is, is that I'm going to allow my weight to fluctuate. So if I get to 203, 205, you know, I might cut back down to, to 195. And then at 55, I'm going to go, okay, where am I at? Here's why that's important. And this is something that a lot of diet programs, especially diet programs that actually sell you um, doctoring, right? Online doctoring. Um is the reason why I came up with the five-year period was because I was diagnosed hypothyroid, right? And when I talked to my doctor about it, I said, I think I could probably manage this with food. Now, this was pre-eat to perform, right? This was before any of this. But I knew that I came to that doctor with 10 years of extreme dieting, right? And I at least wanted to know if I could add some activity, right? And then diet much less, would it be favorable for my thyroid? And so the data is very clear now, right? So when I started, my TSH numbers were at 11, right? Which isn't, you know, like TSH numbers sometimes get really super high. So 11 is not that concerning. They wanted to put me on Synthroid. I did use it for like two to three days um, and was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stick to my guns here and I'm going to try my way, right? Then we did another one and the, the one after that showed progress, right? So I went from 11 to nine, right? And to the point where the doctor was like, this is a, an acceptable range. We're seeing some positive things. Then I think it was three years later, I was um, down to five and a half, and now I'm down to 4.3, right? So that was after um, my uh, readings on Monday, right? So you go, well, what's this all about, right? Why are, why are Susan and I having these conversations? It's because, you know, I could have stuck with the, the doctor's plan, right? Or I could have been honest with the doctor and said, honestly, 
I've been dieting for a long time, very critically, very drastically. And I, I need to try this other way before I start to go down the medication um, trail, which I don't have any problem with medication. I don't have any problem with doctoring. I do have a little bit of problem if you're selling people on extreme dieting and then also selling them on the doctor and selling them on hormone replacement and things of this nature. Like I said, I am on hormone replacement. I am not against hormone replacement. I'm not against medication. What I am against is someone not telling you the whole truth of what, you know, what they're doing to you and why it's adversely affecting you, right? So what is normal, right? And he goes into it in the book. And this is very, very clear. And they did it multiple ways because what happened was is he fully expected the, um, what's the what's the people the listening? Hadza. Yeah, the Hadza. He fully expected them to have these amazing energy expenditures. And that, that explained why they were able as hunters and gatherers to manage their weight along the way. And what he found was the exact opposite, right? That their um, total daily energy expenditure for men was in the range of 2,800 to 3,200. So a, a mean of about 3,000. And for women, it was 2,300 to, to 2,700. I don't know if you downloaded the PDF, but I, I listened to it on an audio book. And so I downloaded the PDF to see all the graphs. Yeah, no, I have the book. And, and just to, so that it, it just becomes clear how this is baked in to our DNA, that populations perhaps over, over you know, uh, prior to coming to this sort of balance, energy balance data may have existed um, in, in evolutionary times that did burn more calories, but they wouldn't have survived. It would have taken too much work. The energy required to be out hunting and gathering would have outstripped the available energy that you would have ultimately gathered and hunted and enough time in the day to consume it. And so the, the balance would never have worked. People would, you, you couldn't have survived. And so this mechanism of, of finding a balance where there's enough time in the day, he talks about they're out hunting and gathering 10 to 12 hours a day. And so they also have to be eating and taking care of other things around in their village and doing other things and sleeping. And so, um, so there ha you have to find an equation, a formula that, that equals enough calories to survive and more importantly, enough calories to reproduce. And so, um, so this is like this, this is, this seems to be in, in, a, in an environment where there is not an abundance of food available with, with, that takes very few calories to access, which is where we are now, that the body finds this equilibrium. This is, this is where we find equilibrium, homeostasis, where we find balance um, 
for maximum energy output and maximum energy intake? So I think the big piece here is that there's a lot of people listening to this and they're going to go, you're saying for a woman that the number's 2,500 and that um, for a man, the number's 3,000. Yes, that's exactly what we're saying, right? And here is the overwhelming point. It doesn't matter for age. It matters a little bit, right? And he talks about that. And he says, you know, that it can go within hundreds of points. But he pointed to the, uh, a Hadza woman that was 70 years old compared to a sedentary 70-year-old woman. Now, the interesting part is that the Hadza woman would not have dieted, right? Not knowingly, right? There would have been periods where maybe they couldn't catch a zebra um, or something of that nature. But, but the 70-year-old woman in New York would have almost certainly dieted and they were still getting the same numbers, right? And so if you're eating 1,100 calories, this should be like a ding, ding, ding moment that you're actually causing a lot of the issues that you think, oh my goodness, I'm broken. Well, you might be, but you might also be causing it, right? And the problem that you're gonna run into is that now all of a sudden you start to eat more for a week, right? And you even count it. And, and now all of a sudden you were eating 1100 and you start counting for 2500 and your weight marginally goes up. There's a lot of thought processes that go into that. That could be like a series of eight podcasts, but there's way too many people that are trying to be 120 that might genetically fit more around 140, right? And when we're talking about the ability to build muscle, right? So, so the thing that other diet programs talk about a lot is the fact that you can gain lean mass when you're in a deficit. Okay, great. You're selling diets, you're selling dieting, so therefore you're selling that idea. But you know, right? Science knows these are facts that you're not going to put on any substantial amount of muscle unless you're in a surplus, right? And so a surplus for women would be 2,500 plus. For women, it's 3,000 plus, men. right? Yeah, and I'm sorry. And, and so, so I think these are the concepts that, that we really need to focus on here, you know? But when you look at kind of, it's interesting because the concepts that he came up in the book, we also came up, with the data we were seeing, right? We 100% went into it and let, we'll end the podcast with, with these thoughts because the part that, that both you and I, you know, probably take issue with is the idea that, you know, no one is burning more than 3000 calories. And we both know that that's not true, right? What I thought was interesting and I thought he would go into it more is when he was talking about the hods of people and their affection for honey. And what, what I wanted him to say, what I wanted him to talk about, what I really want to know is do the hods eat honey before a period of hunting and gathering, right? So do they, because he talked about the extreme lengths that they would go to to eat honey and how much they, they love honey. And the people will actually climb the tree, get stung by bees because 
they like the honey that much. The honey is like energy. Percent of their calories, didn't he say? Yeah, honey? yeah, yeah. It was extreme. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so so and and I thought he didn't really make that connection of like, hey, these are they're trying to meet their energy requirements, right? And they're trying to maybe exceed them around the gathering period. We don't have the data on that. That's just conjecture on my part. Because if you think about it, okay, well, why wouldn't they do it after? Well, they might do it after, but if you spent two to three days chasing a zebra, you probably don't have the energy to go up a tree to go get more honey at that point. So you would probably learn over time to get the honey first, use it, and then go hunt the zebra. Right? I actually, I'm not clear that the people who gather, even the men, if they are also hunters, I, I, there may be a distribution of work. I'm not hundred yeah. percent. That wasn't clear to me either. Um, yeah. Typically in societies, the hunters are the hunters and the gatherers are the gatherers, but depending on how many people there are in the village, they may overlap. He so mentioned, he did specifically mention a male that was getting stung by bees. So I assume, right. yeah, I know, yeah. he, but I don't know if that male would have also been a hunter. Yeah, or if that's he's true. Only a gatherer. Yeah, and I don't want to get lost on that point because what we're ultimately saying, what Susan and I know to be fact, is that that you know the on the high side, it's not like you eat a you're at three thousand and then all of a sudden it turns into um, fat or or you store as fat, right? And that's a little bit of what what you know, he sort of gets into that we need to move closer. I think we all agree that, you know, having mostly unprocessed foods that are nutrient dense is a good thing. But if 25% of their calories came from honey, it really points you in the direction that energy dense foods also hold a role, right? And so if you're trying to hold on to muscle, build muscle, live a long way, and you're, as a man, eating less than 3,000 calories a lot of the time. As a woman, eating less than 2,500 calories a lot of the time. You're really not allowing your body to live the way that, that it wants to live. And I thought the honey part, like when Susan and I were talking about this privately, I mentioned the similarities between what he was saying and, and paleo. And Susan brought up the point that paleo is mostly anti-grains, which I totally agree with. But, but what I was saying is that they have the similarities of the unprocessed foods, no. right? Mm -hmm. and, and, but the difference being is that he's talking about unprocessed foods and, you know, the paleo thing, I don't want to get into the paleo thing because, you know, that's been covered. No one's paleo anymore. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's sort of moved on, right? But, you know, there's kind of these foods and raw honey was kind of okay. And then, then the grand poobahs on the paleo mountain, you know, potatoes weren't good and now they are good, you know. And it's like all this silliness related to food consumption. And realistically, we kind of all get that what we're, we're talking about is less Cheetos consumption, not less, you know, starch consumption right he did talk a lot about the fact that they consume a fair amount of starches also 
which is the foundation of their diets. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when we look at, you know, kind of the, the higher end athletes that we work with, you know, what you're going to see is, is a lot of starches, right? Some energy dense foods, you know, uh, simple sugars, it, it could be okay. You know, uh, I was listening to this podcast with Matt Frazier, who's one of the last few CrossFit games. Early on, I knew a lot about Matt because I knew I had a lot of clients at his gym and they would tell me about his Ben and Jerry's consumption. He would, he would eat up to two pints of Ben and Jerry's a day sometimes. And I don't know if you're aware or, or you looked at the calories on Ben and Jerry's, but it's like, the most high calorie ice cream. That's why it tastes so damn good, you know? And when you look at, you know, these high level athletes, you know, I think that there's on the female side, you know, in terms of sponsorships and things of this nature, it could get really complicated because, you know, if you're advertising to women, you sort of don't want to put out that you're eating 5,000 calories. So I, I definitely get that that's a problem, you know, in, in terms of, of, of how that worked. That said, I do think there's some really high level athletes that are working against their genetics and ultimately will hit a wall. Right. We've actually talked about that on, on various podcasts, but, but I think when we, when we look at, you know, the main point of the book, it's a book on total daily energy expenditure. And it, you know, we had a lot of personal trainers reaching out and they're like, Hey, we want, I want you and Susan to talk about this because this guy is wrong. And Susan and I think this guy's right. You know, and, and are there parts that we would disagree on? We wouldn't disagree on the constrained total daily energy expenditure. What we, we would like to see expounded upon is the idea that, you know, to build muscle, you could be in a surplus, right? You, you would want to be in a surplus every now and again. Um, I'm not a huge cutting and bulking person. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, recommend somebody gain 50 pounds to gain 20 pounds of muscle, but I do believe that, you know, having a bit of a surplus, this is why I set my calories around 3,500 to 4,000 the majority of the time. So I can allow myself to kind of sit in an area where I could potentially build muscle. I actually did, we, we, this has gone a little bit long, so we're in right here, but I did a study or I, I didn't do a study. I did a, um, you know, N plus one kind of deal where um, I ate 3,500, 4,000, and then 5,000 calories using my Fitbit number. And the goal of the 30 days was just to stay weight stable. And it was not hard to do. And so what that says, or what that should say to you as a listener, is that you can actually manage your weight Right? If your goal is just to manage your weight and kind of stay weight stable, stay healthy, things of this nature, you can control that on the high side, right? It's the low side where you start messing things up in a big way, right? And so, so I think that that, to me, takes out a real big piece of all these people like trying to get 50,000 steps like David Sedaris 
and and moves it to can I manage my weight reasonably? And if that's the question, then what you need to understand is that your body needs to be closer to that 2,500 number, right? Now, if you're 1,100 and you're freaked out, we're going to talk about that in the podcast coming up here soon. But what you need to understand is that it's that, that iron grip on your weight that is actually causing you so many problems and you're not even really thinking of it from that standpoint, right? And so, Susan, I will give you the last word before we move on to our next podcast. Well, so, so just sort of to put a, a period on the end of this is that if you read reviews of this book and you don't read the book, um, you will think that he's giving you an argument against, not against, but that exercise isn't important. And that's not true at all. And that is not the message of the book. Neither do you get that message if you read it. But as I'm reading reviews, people are saying that. And so don't believe those reviews. This is a book about health, about being healthy. And he definitely reinforces how important exercise is, not just your hour of exercise every day, but that we are built to be moving machines. And I take, you know, not to enforce that machine part, but that, but that we, are, we are really built to be active all day long and, and spread out that, that energy demand all day long, but also all the, the parts of our physical body are built to be moving. And so that's how we maintain health over you know, weeks, months, years, and decades is by being an active body. And so it is, it is also the way that the body helps to distribute calorie burning. And so if, if you don't exercise, he is saying you will basically burn somewhere around the same number of calories, but how you burn those calories will be different. And that's the key to, are you going to be, again, maximizing your health because you exercise and burn as many calories as you can, or is your body going to be aching to burn calories because you're very sedentary and, and perhaps use them in a direction that is not healthy. And so, um, so I just want to reinforce that this is not an anti-exercise book that lose weight without exercise. That is the opposite of what he's saying. Totally agree. All right, sounds good. And uh, look for, there's two podcasts that we're gonna be doing here soon. Um, one on yo-yo dieting that kind of builds off of some of the ideas of this. And then also, what would it look like to move to 2,500 calories? What would it look like for 3,000 for a man? And so be on the lookout for those podcasts here soon. Talk to you later.